0: I'm Paul Valley, and this is a payoff pitch on Fanimal Radio, presented by DNL Window Tinting. DNL Window Tinting, we put the shades on the sun. Orioles lost another game last night. Their 102nd of the season, eight five against the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, in the loss, Trey Mancini and Jonathan Villar combined for four hits, including two home runs. Fitting for the two front runners for Most Valuable, Oriole uh, Mancini, his 34th home run of the season. Uh, Drove in four runs in the ball game last night. He is now sitting at 88 RBIs, has an outside chance with a hot finish to the season, and he's been streaking recently. Outside chance of getting into 100 RBIs, which will really put a uh, cap on a really stellar season for Mancini. He's got hits in 11 of his last 12 games. He's batting 3.47 with five home runs, three doubles, and 12 RBIs over that stretch. 11 games left in the season for him to get 12 more RBIs. I don't know if he'll be able to do it, but... If he continues the way he's been hitting the last couple of weeks, I think he has a chance to get there. Jonathan VR batting 302 with a 368 on base percentage, slugging 512 with 12 home runs in the second half of the season uh, since the All Star break. He's also got 31 RBIs and 18 stolen bases since the All Star break. So, really nice season for VR. Uh, he hit for the cycle earlier this summer, became only the sixth Oriole to ever hit 20 homers and steal. 30 bases in the season. Right now, he's only the fourth Oriole ever to steal 30 bases and score 100 runs in the season. Uh, also, his teammate Trey Mancini, that we were talking about just a second ago, 99 runs on the season, so his next run scored will give the Orioles a pair of teammates with 100 runs scored. So in a season with uh, that's been basically lost since it started, it's nice to see some offensive production, couple that with Hanser Alberto having a nice season, one of the leading hitters in the American League, batting over 360 on the road, over 400 against left handed pitching. The Orioles' offense has really been pretty stellar this year, all things considered. Now, if they can get the pitching staff to match up with that, that would probably make this team a little bit more competitive. Uh, Then, looking forward, then you look at guys, we're looking forward to next season. Mountcastle's probably going to be on this team. Midway through April, you have him. You're going to have Mancini, who's the de facto clubhouse leader right now. And then you have Renato Nunez on the team, 25. He'll be 26 next year. His next home run is going to be his 30th. So then the question comes, how do you fit all of these guys? Do you keep room for Chris Davis, who's batting 132 since the All-Star break? He went 0-4 last night with three strikeouts. I don't know how this team is going to have space for Mountcastle, Mancini, Renato Nunez, and Chris Davis. I think Chris Davis ends up being the odd man out. I think they might explore trade in the offseason to clear some roster space because there's not really a defensive position for Renato Nunez. Ryan Mountcastle's basically, I mean, he can play some first base. Only made four errors there in Norfolk. He was dependable in left field in his 22 games there for the Tides, did win the International League MVP, so there's going to be a spot for him on the team uh, once the service clock issue is taken care of by the middle of April. But is he going to play first base? Is Trey Mancini going to play first base? Mancini has been playing the outfield as well this year, but he's not really a great outfielder. None of them are great defensive first basemen aside from Davis. I think that there's a big-time roster crunch coming next spring for the Orioles, and they're going to have to figure out what to do with four guys who are essentially the same type of player. My humble opinion, I honestly believe that Chris Davis is going to be DFA designated for assignment if not during the offseason, then by the middle of April unless he comes out like gangbusters which hasn't happened in several years. So, remains to be seen. We'll see what happens. I do know that Alex Cobb will be back next year. Um Dylan Bundy should be back. John Means hopefully can add on to his stellar rookie campaign despite his poor start against the Tigers the other day. Uh, the Orioles should be more competitive uh, next year. But that how, just how competitive, uh, that's a story for another day. Uh, right now we're going to get a word from our sponsor, DNL Window Tinting. But when we get back, I have John Mayoli from the Baltimore Sun joining me. And he's going to talk to us a little bit about the future of the Orioles, a couple of, about a couple of articles that he wrote, and we'll get his opinion on who the most valuable Oriole has been this year. Stay tuned for that and more with the Payoff Pitch. In your home, sunshine can stream in through windows, bringing a cheerful feel and warmness to any room. Sometimes, though, it brings in too much warmth, even harmful ultraviolet light and solar energy that can raise energy bills, drain the color from your fabrics and furnishings, and cast a blinding glare on your television or computer screens. DNL window tinting can protect your home from all of this while saving you money on energy bills. Start saving today by calling DNL at 410-941-2942. That's 410-941-2942. Welcome back to the Payoff Pitch once again. I'm Paul Valley and joining me today from the Baltimore Sun is John Meoli, not Maoli as I just learned. John, how are we doing today?
1: I'm well. How's it going over there?
0: Doing well, man. Thanks for coming on again. We really enjoyed having you on the last time you came on. So, uh, nice to have you back. So Orioles lost their 102nd game of the year last night. They lost 8-5 to the Blue Jays. But Trey Mancini, we talked about him in the first half of the show. Um, he's really coming on as of late, hitting 11 of his last 12 games in 347 with five home runs over that stretch. And it's between him and Jonathan VR, who's slugging 5-12 in the second half of the season with 12 home runs. It's between those two guys who are most valuable Orioles, in my opinion. How do you feel about that how do you see that shaking out this year?
1: I think that's a pretty fair assessment. I think that although it's different and it's pretty relative considering the rest of the Orioles pitching staff, I think John Means probably is in that conversation in some form or fashion. But I think that one thing that you have to keep in mind with most valuable Orioles, is that voting was that voting was done like, what's today, the 17th? I think votes were due like two and a half weeks ago, and I think that's just for like their planning purposes. They have to get the stuff made. They have to do all that so we ran into the similar problem I think it was 2017 when Jonathan Scope had been the you know he was the team's all-star he was the best player undoubtedly on the Orioles all season that year but Manny Machado was kind of doing what Jonathan VR did in the second half and he was just going crazy so it's like the last week of August you're sitting there you're looking at it and this team isn't going to make the playoffs obviously but that team was close at the time that late August, early September area, where you're like, if this team makes the playoffs, it's not going to be because Jonathan Scope was the most valuable Oriole. It's going to be because Manny Machado is going to hit 600 with 20 home runs in September and do that. So it's one you have to kind of balance how you're going to vote with stuff like that. But I think it would mean a lot to Trey Mancini to get that award, especially given the All Star snub. Uh, Jonathan VR has really put it together, and I think both him and last night accepted Michael Gibbons have really kind of taken the fact that there wasn't a trade market for them to heart and are really trying to be the players they, they're capable of being so that maybe this isn't the situation they're in long term.
0: Well, yeah, and they both, both of those players have come on strongly. I did hear Steve Molesky uh, on the post-game show last night basically insinuate this, that uh, Mancini's going to be the most valuable Orioles. So now hearing from you that the voting has been done for about two weeks, I think he's probably the guy who's won it, although I think you can make a really strong case for VR, especially with his second half. Now, we talk about these guys. Trey Mancini, going to be 28 years old when the season starts next year. VR is going to be 29. Uh, VR is not signed beyond next season. I've been you know, beating my chest for the last month or so about I think the Orioles should extend VR because uh, they don't have... Any kind, of, any kind of prospects that are ready to come up and take over a job in the middle infield uh, for the next couple of seasons. I think that's a guy who you can really anchor in your order, who can help this team win when this rebuild starts to come to fruition in the next two, maybe three years. You add that to the fact Trey Mancini, he's kind of in a situation where, with Chris Davis on the roster, Renato Nunez, Castle probably coming up by the middle of April next year, what do you think the future is for Mancini and VR on this Orioles ball club, if there is a future at all. I think
1: that, I think that it's going to be really tough. And I think you're going to get a sense maybe in the off season or hearing Michael eyes talk towards the end of the year of just where those guys fit in. I mean, if they're planning on having another hundred and five hundred and seven hundred and eight loss season next year, it's a lot easier to, to move on from those guys. That said, I think that that would be kind of a tough sell to the fan base, not necessarily for Jonathan VR. I don't think he has necessarily a huge, not following. I don't think there's a lot of loyalty or devotion to Jonathan VR, but there is to Trey Mancini. He's somebody who's been, you know, kind of the face of this team through these transitional periods. He was a guy who came up and was, you know, an important part of, the last playoff run and then he comes up and he's going through all these transitions. I think a sentimentality side kind of plays in there and they showed with Adam Jones, there's not really a lot of room for sentimentality with what they're doing here. Those two players are easily the most productive and I would say probably well-rounded veteran players, the Orioles have, but I think they're going to have to make a determination and it's going to determine a lot. It's going to kind of not determine it's going to, it's going to say a lot about the direction that they want to go and how they feel about the perception of what they're doing here if they say that there's no place for guys who are productive and reliable in their lineup on a daily basis when the goal is to not be good in 2020. It's to be good years down the line.
0: Right. And I think that with that in mind, I think that we're probably seeing – possibly the end of Chris Davis in a Baltimore Orioles uniform. I I just, I can't imagine a scenario where they're going to keep him on the roster going into next year. I mean, the only way I can see him staying on this roster is if they want to keep him playing first base until Mountcastle is ready to come up. But then we go back to the problem we just talked about. What do you do? with when you basically have three guys that play the same position and don't play it particularly well, how do you justify having three or four of those guys in your lineup?
1: I think it's it's really hard. I mean, it's something that they ran into when they were trying to be good, to be honest, that this was a team that, you know, was congested in these corners. And I think that before this becomes a team that is, you know, really, really good, really, really good, you know, on the pitching side and offensively, this needs to be a team that's better defensively. There, there's not a lot of range still. And part of that is because you have first basemen playing corner outfield spots and corner outfielders most of the time playing center field. It's really difficult. So you can't really say that they're on to the next phase of anything they're doing. If they're still running Trey Mancini out there in the outfield, it's not that he's a bad outfielder. It's just that he's not really best suited for that. And if you're going to do all this maneuvering so that Ryan Malcastle can come up and play the outfield, I'm sorry, that's that's an old Orioles move. That's not a new Orioles move. That's something that they would have done in 2015 if Ryan Malcastle was there. It's something they did do in 2016 and 17 with Trey Mancini. That's the type of stuff that gets this team in trouble. You'll remember that same offseason Pedro Alvarez was, you know, going down to Norfolk to play the outfield. You know, this is the type of stuff that's gotten them in trouble. Is is, you know, taking taking player taking hitters and putting them in positions that lessen their value. So I think that Chris Davis is the linchpin to this. I mean, he's played what? 3 times, 4 times this month. Right. He's batting like 150 in the second half. Whatever they're working on isn't really working. Now, is this a situation where what they're doing is so drastic that, you know, you can't really tell watching the games and the results don't matter just because he's working in the cage. I don't, I don't know. I mean, we've been through this how many times the Chris Davis before it doesn't really seem like, doesn't really seem like the results are changing. And I'm sure there's been a conversation pretty early on with ownership and Michael Elias as to where the, where the break even point for this was going to be. And it would be surprising to me if it was this off season, but the way they're acting right now is, is, leaving them only one place to go from all this, and that's Chris Davis not being here.
0: Right, and I, I would tend to agree with you just because of his lack of playing time. And you mentioned saying he's batting about 150 in the second half. I looked at the numbers, say he's actually hit 132 since the All-Star break, which is, I, I don't know how, even at $23 million or $17 million with the deferred money, how you have a spot on a roster for somebody who's, who produces so little, uh, especially moving forward when you have younger guys who – Basically, he'd be blocking if he stayed on the roster. So speaking of younger guys, you have written a couple about three articles over the last week or so talking about some younger guys um, that are in the Orioles' plans. The first guy I want to talk about, you wrote an article about Alex Wells, describing the success that he's had at the minor league level. And this was a guy who won the Jim Palmer Award for the Orioles Minor League Pitcher of the Year back in 2017. And in 2018, he kind of, Kind of fell off the radar a little bit with a 347 ERA. This is a guy who had pitched to a sub 2.5 ERA his first two pro seasons. It's hard to imagine the 3.5 ERA takes you off the radar, but it kind of did. not And this year he's kind of bounced back and is putting himself firmly in the Orioles' plans moving forward.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's done everything that you need to do if you're that type of pitcher who's, you know, not going to blow guys away. I mean, I thought it was interesting to hear that. You know, they came to him and asked him to start throwing a slider early in spring training. And he kind of pushed back on it. I've talked to a lot of people who thought that maybe it's not like a bigger slider, even just like a cutter or something that looked a little different, that moved a little different, that got that didn't allow people to time up his fastball as well was going to be the key for him. And he did it and he's gone out. And even if the Eastern League wasn't a very it wasn't a very productive offensive league this year and the minors in general, I mean, basically outside of triple A. It's gotten to the point in the minors where if you could hit, you're basically in the big leagues already, unless you're Ryan Malcastle. But <laughs> the, the, but it, it's it's just he's he's done all that you can ask at this point, and he's going to go to Triple A and some of those weak fly balls that he gets or might be you know might be home runs in that hitting environment there. But this is what they want. They want people who have a chance to keep succeeding and getting better he's the type of person who would be really valuable i mean we're not talking somebody's too far off what john means was before john means went and got himself a couple extra miles on his fastball and his and you know advanced his changeup. he's already kind of got the change up alex wells but this is the type of pitcher who has shown here in the flesh that in the form of john means that you can do this i mean dallas keichel was the same type of pitcher. He's the one that added the cutter, and all of a sudden he goes and becomes Cy Young winner. I mean, this can happen, and I think that as long as Alex Wells, you know, he admitted that last year he was trying to, you know, be too perfect, and that was something that really was a detriment to him. Now he just goes out and he says, here it is. Let's see what you got. Pitchers say that all the time, and the ones who really believe it, I think, were the ones that concede, and he falls in that category.
0: Right, and th- this is a guy who I've been paying attention to because there, in 2017 – he, I think he only walked 10 batters the entire season, so he has impeccable control. Uh, he is a soft tosser. He tops out about 88 to 90 miles an hour with his fastball, which, you know, when you talk to people outside of the organization, they say, well, how are you going to be successful with that at the major league level? But this is a guy who, when he – if you beat him on a certain pitch, he's not going to show you that same pitch in that same location ever again. And he's more so – he's not going to – out do outdo you with his stuff, but it's the location. He is the the epitome of a guy who just knows how to pitch.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and this, you know, new pitching environment that the Orioles are creating here, I think, goes a long way to expanding that. You know, he knows that if he puts his fastball, you know, down and into a right hander, that's a good spot for him. Watching him pitch in that playoff game against Trenton. He wasn't necessarily jamming people on the hands. That's what they want the slider to be able to do. But coming from all the way on the first base side of the rubber, throwing all the way across the body down to like a fastball at the knees to a right-handed hitter, they don't really, you know, those get called strikes, and those are tough pitches for those people to handle. So he kept going back and back and back. And, you know, I think, I don't remember the guy's name, who was the Eastern League MVP. hit a home run on a high fastball off him and his first at bat, and he didn't get another high fastball the entire day. It's exactly what you're saying. He makes those adjustments. I think he really takes all to using the information they have because he's the type of pitcher who needs all of it.
0: Right, right. And, you know, m- moving on here just a little bit, there's going to be somebody that Alex Wells is going to be throwing to in the not-too-distant future, uh, Adley Rutschman. And I'm sure you guys have talked about him so much at Nauseam this season that you might be a little tired of it, but we're, we're going to do it anyway. Um, yeah. Uh, you and I ran into each other back in August at an IronBirds game. This was two to three days before Adley's promotion to Del Marva, um, and you wrote an article last week discussing Adley, um, basically talking about his first pro ball experience and how winning together at the minor league level is only going to help enhance this team's chances of winning together at the major league level. Um, What are your impressions of Adley after covering him during his two-month stretch of pro baseball and his mentality with what it takes to win at the major league level? Well, I
1: think that this is a guy who came in largely, you know, with expectations that you could consider unreasonable, and he's completely as advertised, whether it's as a teammate, whether it's as a receiver, whether it's as a thrower. I mean, I feel like two or three times I saw him – you know, there was a stolen base attempt, and he's, the guys, the infielder is basically holding the ball in front of the guy who's trying to steal, like, it's Major League, just being like, hey, come on, come get tagged out, like, he he gets the ball out well, the pitchers really like working with him, I think that he's done a good job of making it so that he is not Adley Rushman, you know, the savior here to make everyone better, I think that He's very cognizant that that's happening on the outside. And that's something that people like me will make it seem like is the case. And he's very, he's very, very careful not to allow that to be the case, whether it's with his teammates, with his coaches, with, with the front office staff, it's really someone who understands what's asked of him and all he wants to do is do it. If he does it well, because he's very naturally talented, that's great. He's not going to go out there and he's going to make a show of him being Adley Rushman. But to the point that you were saying about the winning, I mean, this is a guy who's been a part of that. And that reputation carries with you. And he knows what it takes. And he was very careful. One thing he did say, he was like, I'm not here to make, you know, make winners out of everyone. We have to do this together. And I think that it wasn't necessarily the winning games that he liked. It was just the success. There's good pitchers at every level that he went to. And as a catcher, you love that. There's good defenders at every level that he went to. As a, as a person who supports the pitchers, you love that. I think there was a lot for him to, to like in the first three months of his professional career here. And I think he handled everything as well as you really could.
0: I, I would agree. And from everything I've seen, everything I've heard, I talked to his teammate Toby Welk uh, about a month ago. He's just a great teammate, good guy to play baseball with, and he's got that winning mentality. So I think that that's huge coming from your first overall pick uh, for the Orioles future. Um, is he, do you think he's going to start next year at Bowie? Are we going to see him at Frederick? Does he skip that level? Uh, where do we anticipate Rutschman starting the year next year? Because from all the reports, it would seem that he should be major league ready by the 2021 season. So I would imagine he would probably start a double A, right? Um, you, you could, you could, you could say that.
1: Um, I think that this is going to be a front office that doesn't really do that, if we're being completely honest. You know, that was, if you go through and look at the list of the people that have skipped a level in the Orioles farm system, it's almost exclusively gone to their detriment. You know, even somebody like, I think David Hess skipped Delmarva, Cedric Mullen skipped Fred. Drake, Austin Hayes, a lot of those pitchers from that college draft in 2016 all skipped the level. Where you you miss stuff there. You you miss, you know, pitchers. You miss developing pitches. You miss the opportunity to fail earlier. You miss a whole level. And I don't think that Michael Elias and them really would believe in doing that. Now, is Adley Rutschman good enough to play Bowie at the beginning of next season? Absolutely. You don't take somebody who won one if that's not going to be the case, but I don't know, to cut it to the point I was talking about earlier, if that's something they really want to do is make this guy the one who can skip a level, but you all can't. You know, They're going to be pretty judicious in moving people up because they're finding right now that once somebody gets a AAA and has success, the questions start like, Why isn't this guy here? So they're not going to, if Adley Rushman is going to be someone who's going to kind of signal, okay, we're ready, but they're not going to be ready for two years, two and a half years, What's the point of having him play Norfolk for a year and a half and just kind of waste there? I don't know that they'll let him do that, so it might be a little more of a station-to-station thing just for that reason.
0: Gotcha. and it seems like that's been the plan, uh, especially with this new regime, at letting guys stay at a, at a full level um, for a full season. You look at Ryan Mountcastle and Keegan Aiken. Uh, Mountcastle probably deserved a promotion at some point this year, but he stayed the full season at Norfolk, which seemed to be the plan. Aiken stayed the full season at Norfolk, which seemed to be the plan, even though there were times when it seemed like he could be the one, next one to get the call. Uh, he didn't really do himself any favors this year because he didn't pitch particularly well. But it seems like they have a plan of having guys play a full season at a minor league level and then move them up the next year. So uh, we could still see that with Adley Rutschman moving forward. You did mention Austin Hayes in that, um, in that segment right there. You just wrote an article on him as well. He, spe- he was at four different minor league levels this year out of necessity because he was rehabbing an injury. Um, hit 248 with a 299 on base percentage in 87 games. He was originally slated for the Arizona Fall League, but he just got the call a couple of weeks ago up to the big league club. Uh, in your article, you mentioned that Brandon High compared him to A.J. Pollock, who is a former All-Star who has also been injury-plagued. Uh, what are you seeing from Austin Hayes? Is this the center fielder of the future? Uh, and is this basically an audition for next season?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think to go kind of go backwards, it's definitely an audition for next season. Is he the center fielder of, you know, what they envision as championship-caliber Orioles teams? Possibly not, but, you know, I've always been kind of the high man on Austin Hayes. Just the things he was able to do that first full year were really impressive, even if it was terrible for his development and really kind of ill-advised He deserved to get called up that year. You know, that was the type of thing. He was that kind of player at that time. Now, a lot has changed physically with him. A lot has changed approach-wise with him. I remember talking to, I want to say David Hess at some point, whether it was at a mini camp or spring training that in 20, I guess it would have been 18. And he said that what impressed him so much about Austin Hayes that year was that Hayes would, you know, he was able to stay back on everything because his hands were so fast. You really couldn't get it, like, you couldn't get a fastball by him. And he didn't have to cheat on it, so he could stay back. And if you, you know, left the break ball or something would spin out over the plate, he was just going to whack it the other way. He was going to hit a double, and he was going to be standing there, you know, waving to his teammates in the dugout. He doesn't really have that as much anymore. And I think. You know, some of this time in the big leagues to get caught up to major league pitching and realize that it's not as intimidating as it was that first year. You know, same thing in the Arizona Fall League. I think that could put him back on the right path if that's a path he's interested in going down.
0: Yeah, and I think a lot of fans were really excited about him because he had a really nice spring, and then it was it was kind of a surprise to a lot of people that he got sent down because they wanted him to play that full season in Norfolk, and then in extended spring training he goes and he. Injures his thumb sliding into second base, and a lot of people likening him to Nolan Ryan, which I think is a bit of a stretch, but it's a guy who, you know, is a really solid prospect in this organization who can't seem to stop to keep himself off the, the injured list at this point. It's nice to see him at the big league level playing, contributing, betting 273 in his 10 games. Small sample size, but it beats the alternative. Uh, I think a lot of people are excited to see what he can bring to the table next year and you know especially after you know pegging Cedric Mullins as your n- next center fielder to replace Adam Jones and then being demoted twice I think people are really starving to see a guy who can take the job and really grab it by the reins and hold on to it.
1: Yeah, yeah. It was it was uh you know just kind of the fall of Cedric Mullins is one of those unfortunate things that's happened this year that I don't think the Orioles could have planned on, but you have to remember, you know, when they did send Austin Hayes down from big league camp, with all the success he was having, Cedric Mullins was kind of struggling too. He never really got it going this year. And they said then that Austin Hayes was going to play a lot of center field, which I'm sure Cedric Mullins saw and was like, wait, I'm the center fielder, you know? So so they, they clearly made some kind of indication earlier whether it's the off season or spring training that Cedric Mullins might have been the center fielder of, of the moment, but the one for longer term who they thought had a better, you know, chance to hit at the big leagues, maybe defend a little bit better, better arm certainly was Austin Hayes. So, you know, they made that consideration. I don't, you know, I think any comparison to Nolan Reimel is probably a tough one for anyone to stomach. So I can understand why, why there would be pushback to that. But, I think all he's got to do is, you know, kind of right the wrongs of, of the past. He came in this year a lot more athletic. It was pretty noticeable. He was a lot better at that point. And then he slides into a base and jams up his thumb. He could have been in the minors for a month in, in April and been up in May. You have no idea how it could have played out if he had just continued on that trajectory. And I think that he knows that. And he's probably going to take generally better care of himself just to make sure stuff like that doesn't happen again.
0: Right. And, I mean... I look at it, you, you look at Anthony Santander, he, that's a guy who wasn't lighting the world on fire down at the minor league level, but then they bring him up to the big leagues, and he's one of one of the best players on the team in the second half, and he's looking like he's going to be a mainstay in the outfield for years to come for the team. So some of these guys figure it out with better coaching uh, at the big league level, and I think that that could be the case with Austin Hayes. You mentioned that you're high on him. I've always been high on Austin Hayes. I think that he just profiles as a solid big league center fielder. So. We'll see how that goes. I think that the, that the future for the Orioles is bright. It's just a matter of when they get to that bright spot in the future. Uh, John, I know you're a busy man, so I really appreciate you coming on the show today. Really great stuff as always. Thanks for joining us today. Hey, happy to come on Whatever you guys need. We'll do this again soon. Hopefully, man. And Hey, get through the rest of the season. I know it's been a long couple of years. You deserve a break here in the offseason, but we'll be talking soon, all right? All right, thank
1: you. Yeah, first hockey practice was Monday. Yeah, we're, we're, <laughs> yeah, that's
0: we're, right. we're moving on
1: already. We're moving on already. It's going to be a good fall.
0: I, I hear you, man. Well, enjoy that. Good luck with your season, and we'll talk again soon. All right? Thanks for coming all on. All right. Thanks a lot. See you. And that's going to do it for us here on the payoff pitch. Once again, I'm Paul Valley. Special thanks to John Mioli for coming on the show today from the Baltimore Sun. Always a thrill to have him on the show with us. Uh, season ends a week from this Sunday, so... We're going to do another show next week. Stay tuned for updates to see what we're going to do with this show moving forward in the offseason. Hopefully we'll be able to keep it going, if not weekly, maybe bi-weekly, or maybe monthly. Uh, but I'll be back with you guys to let you know what we're going to do with that after I get with my people and discuss everything. Until then, as always, go O's. Thanks for joining the show today.